Well, when I talk about threshold training, I talk more about zone four. And that is what most coaches actually call the threshold training. And, and you might not be running under your threshold, but the training is meant to improve your threshold. That's why we call it threshold training, right? So, and, and whether you're on four millimeter or five or six, yeah, actually that's not very important for me. The Triathlon Show 242. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Hugo van den Broek. Hugo is an elite running coach based in Kenya. He is from the Netherlands, though. He is a former professional runner with a 2 hours 12 minute personal best for the marathon. These days, Hugo is a running coach. He works with both elite and upcoming elite runners in Kenya locally, and also with amateur runners and some elite runners remotely across the world. So we'll get into Hugo's coaching philosophy and training philosophy as it pertains to running right after thanking our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration. They make electrolyte products that you can match to your individual sweat sodium content. So people that lose a lot of sodium in their sweat will get uh, an electrolyte supplement with uh, more sodium in it, a higher concentration of sodium. And those that do not have as much sodium in their sweat, they will have a less concentrated supplement. So that's something that is very important, especially in hotter climates and in longer events or longer races or training days. And uh, it's summer in the Northern Hemisphere, so at least here in Portugal, it is very hot. I'm suffering a little bit, and but it's okay. But definitely, uh, hydration is one of those things that you need to try to take, take care of as best as you possibly can, and electrolytes is one part of it. So check out Precision Hydration, and if you're interested in getting their electrolyte supplements, use the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW15 to get 15% off your order. And thank you to Roka, who are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. You can find them on roka.com forward slash TTS, where you can get a 20% discount code that you can apply to any of those products. And some of my personal favorite products that uh, I've used in recent months include the Maverick X2, the flagship wetsuit model, but also the Maverick MX, which is the maximum buoyancy wetsuit that uh, Roka had just launched uh, earlier this spring. And also the Matador sunglasses, which I think are really cool and I love using them in training and outside of training. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Hugo van den Broek. Welcome to that triathlon show, Hugo. Uh, how are you doing today? Thank you, Michael. Uh, I'm doing fine. Thanks. How are you? So uh, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, let's just start by you introducing yourself and uh, telling the listeners a little bit more about your current coaching and your background in, in running. Sure. Sure. Um, so my name is Hugo Vendenbroek from the Netherlands. I am 43 years old currently, and uh, I live in Kenya. Uh, I've been living in Kenya for 12 years now. Uh, so yeah, I uh, like I said, I was born in the Netherlands. I grew up there. I started running at the age of 15 and uh, later became a professional runner, uh, focusing on half marathon and full marathon. Uh, 
finished my career uh, six years ago when I was 37. Um, my best times, uh, best results were two hours 12 in the marathon and 63 minutes in a half marathon. Um, and at the end of my career, I was lucky to get a job as a coach, uh, which fitted very well with my education. I I have a master's degree in uh, human movement science uh, and uh, special education. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I actually never thought of being a coach while I was an athlete because I was so focused on my career, just trying to be the best I could be without thinking about the future, you know. So uh, when I started coaching, I uh, realized uh, this was something that I loved and uh, that also kind of fitted like a glove. So, yeah, I've been doing that for the last... Um, well, actually, I started it um, in 2009 by coaching Kenyan athletes who tried to get a scholarship in the U.S. So these were young Kenyan athletes, 18, 19 years, who uh, tried to get an athletic scholarship. And I was helping them uh, by coaching them and taking them to races and organizing time trials and um, making contact with uh, American college coaches. Um, so that was fun. I did that for free, of course, uh, but just to help them. And then in 2000, end of 2000. 14, I, I uh, got my first real job as a coach. And I uh, have been coaching Kenyans for some years, from 2014 until 2018. I stopped that. And uh, I'm the head coach of uh, a group of Indian athletes, uh, the National Academy, they call it. Uh, these are young athletes. We normally recruit them when they're 16, 17, 18, and they stay with us uh, yeah, as long as they can. Uh, but the oldest are 23 years. And uh, apart from that, I'm the head coach of the Kenya Experience, which is a British-based company that organizes training camps uh, for amateur runners, or actually runners for every level, of every level, uh, who come from all over the world, and they come to E10 in Kenya, where I live, um, to learn everything about the Kenyan running and just to improve their own running also. And uh, the runners that you coach and, and have coached the, the Kenyan runners and uh, in particular, uh, are there some notable achievements there that you uh, could highlight as well? What have been the best moments in your coaching career so so far with the runners you've coached? Uh, that's a good one. Um, I have actually coached just a few Kenyan runners, uh, only girls. Uh, so actually the first person who contacted me was in 2014. There was a, a Kenyan girl. 24 years of age, she came to me and she asked me if I wanted to coach her. She came with her husband and uh, and I said, yeah, sure, it's nice. And uh, I started coaching her and, and, you know, following her workouts. And I had good contact with uh, Global Sports Communication. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, yes, the yes, company, I have. Yeah, company of Jos Hermans. Uh, and of course, they are also famous from the NN team. Uh, so I know those people very well. And I called them up and I said, I think this girl is really, really talented and um, yeah, they asked me, okay, can you please continue coaching her? So uh, I think by that time she had a personal best of 15.30 on a 5K or 15.25. And about a year later, she ran 30.40, 30.41 on a 10K, which that year, 2015, was the world best performance. Um, so so that, was, that was pretty cool, yeah, to see that. Uh, That's you know, pretty cool. Yeah, someone, and, and, and it was not just that performance. Of course, I could see the whole year how she was improving, so I knew it was going to happen or at least something like that. And then uh, the next year she ran a 66, 50 something on a half marathon and qualified for the world championships. So yeah, that, that was really nice. And, and there were a few other, uh, three other Kenyan girls who are uh, much younger uh, and less, 
And then, no, sorry, they weren't really much younger, but they were like younger in their career, you know. So uh, they were coming from, you know, a level of 35 minutes on a 10K. So I helped them improve to uh, one of them ran 32.40, another one ran 31.45. Um, so that was that was that was nice, you know. I mean, everyone who is focused and and improves uh, is very satisfying for a coach. And of course, it's it's sometimes nice when you have a performance that really uh, is at a world stage level. But it's not really ne- necessary to get the satisfaction, uh, uh, you know, to have a performance like that mm-hmm. satisfied from your coaching, as you as you know also. My own wife did pretty well uh, actually. Uh, she she also ran a world best performance on a 10k in 2009. Um, she ran uh, that year it was 3101 was the best time of the year in the world she ran that and uh, that was actually a funny story because I was coming back from uh, from injury uh, at that time I had a serious Achilles injury uh, actually it was not my Achilles it was the bone under the Achilles and it had to be removed because the bone was like growing and it pressed inside my Achilles so every step was painful so I, I got the surgery done and it took me some time to rehabilitate. And, and one of the first races I did when I came back was the 10K Dutch Championships in the Netherlands. And so we flew from Kenya to, uh, to the Netherlands, my wife and I. And we are, my wife is a born Kenyan, uh, Kalenjin, uh, and, and, but she became Dutch also because we lived together in the Netherlands uh, for seven years. Uh, so we were running that race and I remember... Uh, I was just running that race and, and I wasn't in a great shape. I have a personal best of 28.51, but I was running about 31 flat in that race. <clears throat> but I was happy with it because I was coming back from injury. And suddenly at, I think about 9K, I heard very loud breathing behind me. <laughs> and I looked back and I saw my wife coming. And I thought, no, 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 this is not going to happen. I don't want my wife for the first time in my life to beat me. So I went really deep <laughs> trying to beat her. And uh, I was just two seconds ahead of her. And uh, I hope it gave her a little bit motivation that she saw me in the race, you know, that she uh, she pushed a bit harder maybe because she thought, hey, I can beat my husband. Uh, so she ran 3101 that time. And, and later she ran to 24 on the marathon. She was European champion uh, cross country. And she got a bronze medal at the European Championships 10,000. And... From the Indian athletes that I coach, uh, I mean, most are still young, so it's not like amazing performances, but they're uh, they're doing well in general. Um, so one of the first guys I recruited was called Murli, Murli Kavit, and he ran 33.20 on a 10K, but he was young, 17, 18 years, and, and I felt like he looked very smooth and, and he was a very focused guy. And uh, so I could see mentally and physically that he was talented and we started working together and he improved quickly. And the next year he ran under 31 and uh, three years after we started, he ran 28, 40 something on a 10K. And last year uh, he ran 28, 38, which he got a bronze medal at the Asian Championships in Doha. So that, that was uh, that was pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's still a long way to go, of course, for him, but... Uh, I have hope that with another two years of training, uh, he should be able to run under 28 minutes on a 10K, and then you are, you know, coming to the elite level. 
All right. So uh, let's then get into your coaching philosophy a bit. And uh, you sent me a nice document, actually. So I have a fairly good idea about this. And I want to dig into some of the aspects that you consider important. And let's start with the mental side. You talk a lot about the motivation and uh, enjoyment for training and for the process. Can you elaborate a bit on what, how, do you, uh, how do you instill that motivation and the enjoyment in the athletes? That's a good one. Um... I think it's a little bit different, uh, of course, when you are dealing with young athletes, uh, 17, 18, and that you have, you know, recruited who are running maybe 60, 70, 80 kilometers per week. Uh, they're really at the beginning of their career. It's a little bit different from when you are coaching an elite runner. Um, you know, like uh, I, I'm coaching two guys who are running 212 to 216 on the marathon, um, and they have been elite runners for a long time. That's a different story. Because, you know, the elite runners, you don't have to worry so much about the motivation, right? But when it comes to young athletes, you really, I am I'm aware of the fact that, that running is not an easy sport. You know, it's, uh, when I started running myself, when I was young, I, I never actually did it for fun. Although I really learned to love it with, very quickly. It, uh, you know, uh, I started running because I wanted to be good in it. Uh, good in it and, and I... Yeah, like I said, uh, very quickly, I fell in love with the sport. But when you're coaching young athletes, you have to be aware that, uh, you know, some of them may drop out or they may just not be um, motivated to really uh, pursue a career in running if they don't love it. So you want them to to, to enjoy the training. And uh, part of that comes from... Uh, variation, having enough variation in the training, I think is important for everyone, but especially for young athletes, because you want to build a broad base, but you also want them to enjoy it. Um, so that's one of the things I think that's important for me to bring enough variation in the training. And secondly, also just the whole approach to training. I want people to come to the training and, and be happy and, and to feel like they're, uh, how do you say, they feel open to talk to the coach and they don't come there, like it's a, some kind of military training, you know, where you have to be quiet and serious. And of course, I want them to be focused. And when we, for instance, when we do certain drills and I see some athletes are not paying attention, I, I tell them that. And I say, hey, look, we are doing now 10 minutes of drills. And if you can't pay attention, you better go back uh, home because you only, uh, it, this only makes sense if you are fully focused. So there is, uh, the training is definitely serious, but at the same time, I, I, want them to enjoy it and to enjoy the whole process. So part of it is also really teaching them the right mindset. And for me, the right mindset is, um, yeah, what, you know, you can call it a mastery mindset or a growth mindset where your whole focus is on trying to be the best you can be. For me, that, that's more important than anything else, just trying to be the best you can be every day and, 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 and identifying with being an athlete rather than just saying, okay, I'm preparing for a certain race where I want to win a medal or where, you know, I, uh, I don't know, I want to win some money or something, uh, some kind of external reward. So that is really important for me to mold the athletes in a way that they, they start to look at the training as a, as a part of their identity and, and as a way to make them the best they can be. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, in terms of variation in training, uh, can you give just an example? What, what would 
how could you change what, what would very monotonous training that might not be inspiring look like and how can you change if you look at for example like a training week that you might you might perfectly find from just a physiological perspective give week in week out to an athlete but then to keep keep it fun you include some variation what would some changes be that you would make to your very monotonous training plan to make it more varied and make make the athletes enjoy the process more well different things uh, and and i don't know maybe the things i say are still boring for some people but for me uh you know uh, let's say we have a workout on tuesday then monday morning we might uh, just have a regular easy run where i tell them okay you know maybe sunday has been a resting day and i will tell them okay we do uh, 60 minutes where the first 40 minutes is relatively easy and the last 20 minutes you pick up the pace a little bit um kind of a moderate effort and then when they finish they make some strides um maybe in the afternoon we could do some hill sprints so we jog to a hill and and do a few drills five to ten minutes just to prepare their body and then they do uh, five to ten short hill sprints of 10 seconds all out uh, the day before a workout that normally works pretty well you know some people say like hey uh, why would you do hill sprints the day before a workout because you'll be tired well, the, the the reality is that uh, they are rarely tired from that. You know, especially if you take two minutes rest between the sprints, they tend to recover well from that and probably even do the workout better the next day. And it's fun. You know, it's it's more fun than just going for another one hour easy run or another forty minutes easy run. So yep. uh, there can be hill sprints. There can be there's normal strength training. Of course, we do uh, core and conditioning exercises, um, and 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 just variation in the program. You know, I mean. Obviously, we also have training sessions like 10 times 1,000, 15 times 400. Um, but we also have so many different types of sessions. You know, um, you can think about anything. Basically, you just have to be open-minded. So there can be a variation of different uh, distances and different paces. Um, it can be a variation of uh, a tempo followed by some speed. So we, especially in the towards coming towards the track season, I do that quite a lot where we want to focus a bit on race pace, uh, but for some of the athletes, especially I would say the more uh, slow twitch athletes, the endurance type athletes, you you really want to keep a component of, of threshold ses- uh, threshold in there. And you know, we can talk a little bit about threshold later, what exactly threshold is. But in this case, I mean like we would do like a 15 minute tempo uh, on the track often, uh, but can be also on the road, and and they run that around 10k pace or a little bit slower. Uh, and then they would take a little break, maybe put on spikes and uh, do a little bit speed work on the track after that. Um, yeah, so we have long runs of different variations. Uh, we have we put stuff inside the long run. It's very rare that I give my athletes, especially those who are um, like full-time athletes, it's very rare that I would just give them a, a 90 minutes or two hours easy run at the same speed. Most of the time we put something inside, whether it's, 10 minutes moderate, two or three sets, or some fart leg, one minute fast, one minute easy at the end of the long run. Or um, it just kind of try to spice up the long run a bit, uh, give a good stimulation, and and it's also a bit more fun, I think. Yeah. So there's yeah, there's and and, and uh, another thing by the way is uh, when you talk about fun, of course, definitely there is an aspect of uh, performance in training. It, I mean, we all do it. To, when I talk about my Indian athletes, it's we do it to perform they want to become good runners but not every single session should be uh, a race where you know they feel like they they have to perform and if they don't 
make the times, then, you know, they, it's a failure. No, we, a lot of sessions can be, you know, fartleks where they just go by feeling and they run on a trail. And because when I came to India in the beginning, I was kind of surprised to see that every single thing was being done on the track. And I thought, no wonder that many of the athletes stop because it's, you know, it's mind numbing after some time that you do 60 minutes easy on the track and then you do your speed work on the track, you do every single thing on the track. So I told them, we go off the track and they became a bit nervous in the beginning. Like they said, how can we perform if we don't run on the track? And they saw they performed even better, you know, so, uh, we asked the, the federation, or how do you say, the people in charge of the sports center there to make a three-kilometer trail, you know, on a soft uh, ground with some small hills inside. And they started doing threshold sessions there, and it was much more fun. And, you know, you you, you don't know how how fast you run, if it's 3.20 per K or 3.05 or whatever for the guys, for instance. But um, as long as the effort is there, uh, and I could see that, you know, then it's it's fine. Perfect. Yeah, that's a good overview. Now, moving on to training volume, what's your view on that and the importance of it for runners? Um, well, yeah, I think in general, most athletes do pretty well with an increase of volume. And of course, this is something you have to increase gradually, step by step. But uh, yeah, as we know from research, of course, uh, that uh, yeah, for most people, of course, if you increase the the volume of the easy runs uh, you or you, let's say you do just do more easy runs um, you increase your number of mitochondria which is a very good uh, physiological effect but also you just increase performance and it it doesn't count for everyone in the same way uh, i definitely see with my athletes that some respond very well to mileage some in some cases shockingly well you i have some athletes who after doing uh, mostly mileage and very little, almost nothing actually at race pace. And then after a few months, you start to do some race pace. They are suddenly faster than they were ever before. And you wonder, hey, where did that come from? You know, how, how come they can now run that pace so easily? And four months ago, when we were actually working on it, they, they couldn't do that. Right. And it was just because they respond so well to mileage and not everyone responds the same way to mileage. So they're, that is something to keep an eye on and, and to modulate your mileage. But I think in general, uh, of course, you, you if you can, you want to increase your mileage. And of course, this is different for amateur runners who may have time only to train four times a week or five times a week. Then you know you reach a ceiling with your mileage. You just can't do more because you you know you don't have the time for it. But if you can, then I think uh, for for me this is important to increase the mileage. Yeah, that makes sense. And how, how far would you take it with uh, the professional or aspiring professional athletes? What's the sweet spot for them once they have, assuming that you gradually build up, where do you want them to end up in what sort of range? Um, again, it's a little bit individual. Uh, I don't have something in my mind where I say this is the maximum. Uh, I have not seen also from any indication in science where it says like, okay, if you, if you go more than 200 kilometers per week, physiological adaptations stop. No, I, of course, there is a point where you just can't handle more. So you start, if you can handle 200 K per week, you know, that's amazing. And, and definitely that, that will help you if you can handle that and recover from that. Going from 200 K per week to 220 K per week, might not make you better. It might make you worse because you get too tired and then in the end you come 
to a phase of overtraining. Uh, but that does not necessarily mean that 220k per week is is wrong. No, there were athletes, and there are still athletes who marathon runners who uh, would run 230, 240k per week, and they're okay with that. So I don't really have a maximum in my head. I, I just want to have a gradual increase year by year for most athletes. And how quickly do you think it's possible to to ramp up, or how slowly? Perhaps a better way to phrase that is: How slowly should you ramp up to to be safe? Um, that's a good. Yeah, also, that is. Uh, it, it depends a little bit on the person. So definitely, some people uh, respond um, better to mileage, can handle it easier. Um, with so the girls that I coach in India, there are three girls that are uh, quite good, actually. I think. Uh, very talented, and um, they are now running around 100 kilometers per week. Um, and I think two years ago, they were in around 70 kilometers per week. But this 100 is an average uh, at the moment, but when they go to races, we may drop it down to 90 or 85 with an occasional week of 100 in between. Um, but of course, you uh, you don't stay with the whole mileage the whole year. Uh, you normally go up and down a little bit. Um, for the guys that I coach who are, have been training a little bit longer and they're a little bit older, they are around 160k per week now and they are um, 23 years of age, say between 21 and 24. Um, and they, it took them about five years to go from, let's say, an average of 100k per week to 160. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So, and, um, and of course, now they are training for the track. Most of them are. All of them actually are focusing on track events. So if they would focus, so for instance, the guys who are training 160k per week now, if we go for the mar- to the marathon, we can definitely ramp it up to 180 immediately. That would not be a problem because you you would replace some of the speed work sessions for marathon and half marathon paced sessions, and these sessions, of course, tend to be longer, right? So it's not 10k of quality, but maybe 20k of quality, uh, and, but yeah, so it, it would be relatively easy to go from 160 to 180 if we change event, right? And then to go now from 180 to 200 or 220K, we probably need another three, four years for that. Makes sense. And uh, moving on to the next topic, how do you then distribute the intensity within the within your runners' training schedules? How much easy running do they do as a proportion of the total and how much quality running are they doing? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, uh, makes me think a little bit about the polarized training and the 80-20 principle. You know, uh, I've been uh, reading about uh, that a lot actually and and always felt a bit like it's a bit ridiculous to come with a you know, percentage like 80-20 because there's no top athlete and, and definitely no top coach that I know of or top athlete that I know of that you know, uh, when they make a training program, they set off saying, you know, we have to have 80% in this area and 20% in that. And when you look at the research, actually, and uh, just read a review from lots of studies, it's, you know, the, the, the how do you say, the percentage among elite athletes fluctuates a bit from 70 to 95% for the easy running. Uh, and then, yeah, 5 to 30% for the faster running. But I've checked with my own athletes, and so with the athletes in India, um, for most of them, I would say 80 to 85% of their mileage, so not of their sessions, but of their mileage, is in zone one and zone two. 
and then um, yeah, how do you define those zones? So for me, zone one is just easy running, um, uh, and zone two is yeah, a little bit moderate, but let's say coming uh, is is not yet as fast as marathon speed. Zone one, I normally uh, call it eighty to ninety percent of their threshold. And then zone two is slightly faster than that. Um, so so that's boat is relatively easy running. They do eighty to eighty five percent of that, and then the remaining. 15 to 20 percent is divided among zone three, zone four, and zone five. And as you can imagine, uh, when they are close to the races, and they are running races like 5K, 3K, 1500. Uh, there's definitely a lot more zone five. Uh, yeah, that can be around uh, 10 percent of zone five, and then you know the zone three and four, which is let's say threshold training, so uh, marathon, half marathon speed would be the remaining 5%. But when we are off-season, like now, when there are no races uh, in the near future, uh, there's definitely a lot more in Zone 3 and 4, especially in Zone 4, which is the, what I call threshold training, um, and then very little in Zone 5. So, so Zone 5 is anything from 10k pace and faster. Yeah. Right? In, in terms of the easy running, the Zone 1, maybe Zone 2 running, uh, how do you have a sort of a a hard sort of rule that don't go faster than a certain percentage of threshold or, or how do you prescribe that session? What is too fast when, and when it's, and, and is there anything, any such thing as too slow? Like, do you sometimes have to tell runners that, or you're maybe going too slow for the easy runs? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so for most of my runners, I, I, I kind of just let them run the easy runs the way they want, but I definitely want to know what pace they run. So I, I, I coach some amateur runners online, about 10 of them, and yeah, I will always ask them, okay, you know, you're, you're running a marathon in five minutes per K or 4.55 or whatever. What, what, what speed is your easy run, right? And, and the same thing for the Kenyans or the Indian runners that I coach. Um, and in general, I feel like it's, it's fine the way they run because people feel it, you know, they, they generally don't run too fast on the easy runs or too slow. But in, in India, I was a bit surprised in the beginning that uh, many of the runners were running so slow on their easy runs. So, you, for example, uh, some guys who are running 30, 31 minutes on a 10K race, they would do the easy runs at five minutes per K. And then I told them, look, guys, this is really too slow because I felt like that didn't make any sense for runners at that level. Um, so I divided, uh, I said, we, we have a recovery run. So if you have a hard workout on Tuesday morning and in the Tuesday evening you go for 40 minutes, I don't care what speed you run. This is just, you know, you just have to feel better by the end of the 40 minutes than when you started, or at least the same, not, not more tired. So you can run whatever pace you want to run. Um, but then the next day, Wednesday morning, I expect them to be, you know, they're kind of recovered, not fully recovered, of course, but recovered enough to do a, a proper easy run. And, and then I told them, I made a rule for them that it should be between 80 and 90% of your uh, anaerobic threshold. So for guys who are running like 30 minutes on a 10K, this is their threshold is around three minutes and 10 seconds per K, 19K per hour. So I calculated their easy running to be between four minutes and 3.30. So that's where I want them to be. And most of the time, they're much closer to the four minutes. But when I tell them you can finish a bit moderate, then uh, the last part is more towards 3.30 or they might finish in 3.25. So in 
Yeah, I, I actually, that is kind of an exception. I normally don't say those things, but I said that because I felt they were just running ridiculously slow. Uh, when it comes to too fast running, uh, the rule is kind of simple that it's it's more about the workouts. You know, uh, I mean, the easy running is important, but the speed of the easy running should not be so fast that your workouts suffer, right? So if you have a workout on a Tuesday and on a Friday, those, those are the two really important sessions. Um, if you the day before you do your easy running uh, so fast that you're tired the next day and you're going to do your speed work session and you can't really give the quality that you should be able to give because you're tired, then you've been running too fast. So yeah, we, we keep an eye on that, of course. And I, I know what speed they run on the easy runs and then I know what they can normally do in a threshold, or sorry, in a workout. So if I see that the workout is, you know, slower than usual and I said, hey, what pace was your easy run yesterday? And they say, oh, you know, I went up to, I don't know, uh, 3.20 per K, then we know, okay, that was probably a bit too fast. Yep, makes sense. And you already mentioned a little bit how you work with the, the quality workouts, the uh, zone 5 work closer to the racing season for 5K, 1,500-meter runners and so on. And further out, you do more threshold-based workouts. But can you elaborate a bit more about that sort of periodization of what types of workouts you you like to do when and uh, yeah, why why you structure it the way you structure it? Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, my thinking is a little bit like this. I, I have a bit of uh, Renato Canova, uh, his philosophy. Uh, he's a famous Italian coach, and also Steve Magnus, uh, American coach. So I, I take a bit from them, and, but it's also very uh, much in line with how I used to think about training actually in that when we are far further away from the important races, we work on our base. And that means that we tend to focus on the extremes. So that means if, if you, uh, we are not talking about marathon runners now, that's a bit different. But if we talk about a 5K or 10K runner, when we are far from the race, we focus more on threshold running. That can be uh, what I call threshold running sets like five times seven minutes with a two minute uh, easy jog recovery uh, can be a 30 minute tempo run can be a 50 minute tempo run which obviously is a little bit uh, sub threshold but still very good to do sometimes uh, we do long runs of course with some moderate running in between uh, and we but so we work on the lower side right kind of the aerobic support and then we work on the speed side so the speed support in terms of doing hill sprints um and once they've done you know uh, hill sprints for six to eight weeks we we do some flat sprints sprints on the track uh we may do sets of you know uh, one of my favorite sessions for off season is uh when they do a 8k tempo so for the for a 30 minutes tempo run and then they take a five minute break and they do five to ten repetitions of 200 to 300 meters uh, so you you take it you have a bit of threshold running and then uh, you do a bit at your 1500 to three kilometer race pace. And so the idea is that you, you kind of stimulate on both ends. So this is for people who are maybe five to 10K runners. Um, you want to work the speed on the strength and the endurance. And then when you come closer to the race, we work a lot more on the specific speed. Uh, at the same time, I should say that we never really leave anything out. So uh, even if we are five months before the race, we definitely do a little bit at race pace, but just not so much. It's, uh, 
yeah, how do you say it's watered down a bit. So there might be, you know, if we do something at 10k pace, we, we might do um, still like some 600 meter repetitions uh, at our 10 kilometer race pace, uh, which you know isn't really hard actually because it's just a it's a relatively short repetition interval, right? So and when we're coming closer to the race, we we make those intervals longer. They go for a session like 3k, three times 2k at their 10k race pace. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's a great overview. And uh, if we go a little bit deeper into the the threshold training, and uh, and so because I know that you mentioned in the document you sent me that uh, in like farther out as you said now as well, the it's the the support the aerobic support uh, is the term you used. Yeah. How uh, can can you give some more examples in addition to the five times seven minutes and the tempo run sort of how often do you work on on threshold in sort of the base season if you want to call it that and what might the sessions look like how much total work are you doing and so on yeah 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 so for me i really believe in threshold training uh i should uh, explain a little bit more maybe because you know if you're familiar with the research of seiler and, and and some other scientists about polarized training you might say like hey but i thought threshold training was not good well uh there's a little bit difference in uh, the terminology that we use because if you uh, and I think this is this is kind of a it's a little bit of a problem uh, because in general coaches and scientists are not always using the same language to describe things. So uh, when you read the scientific literature, when they talk about uh, threshold training, uh, they talk about training that is slower than your four millimole um, level, right? And and what they normally call zone three or marathon speed, right? Um, so that is normally described in, in, in scientific literature as, as threshold training. So on a, when you're work, working with five zones, you're typically in zone three. Well, when I talk about threshold training, I talk more about zone four. And that is what most coaches actually um, call the threshold training. And, and you might not be running under your threshold, but the training is meant to improve your threshold. That's why we call it threshold training, right? Um so, and, and whether you're on four millimeter or five or six, uh, you know, yeah, actually that's not very important for me because, I mean, in, in our case, we don't even have the facilities to test the, the lactate. So, you know, it's not really something we, uh, we use in our uh, training because, yeah, we can't test it. But also when I look at myself, for instance, I was tested sometimes uh, when I was an athlete and... My coach used to tell me, and I read the same uh, in training books everywhere, that you know your lactic threshold is the speed you can run for about one hour in a race, right? Uh, and I think with cycling is the same, the speed you would do for about an hour. So when they would test me, they would tell me, okay, based on your lactate curve, your lactate threshold is three minutes and 10 seconds per K. So you can probably run around 66, 67 minutes on a, on a half marathon. And then five days later, after that test, uh, I would r- go and run 63 minutes on a half marathon. So that would tell me that uh, not that the test is useless. You can probably use it to compare your results from today, uh, you know, with uh, next month or next year. Uh, uh, but it does not always uh, say what it claims to say, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, totally. I, I think that those are some some really great points and. Basically, the the gist of it is that when you're talking about threshold training, 
it is quite intense the the way that you're doing it and uh, probably it might elicit lactate values that are above four millivolts and of course four millivolts is just an average it's not everybody's threshold mm. when Check tested is not four millivolts so so th- it makes a lot Check of sense it. to me and, uh, and so yeah no n- no arguments against against that at all uh, yeah, so yeah. How, how often how often would you would you do threshold training uh, in your base training season uh, weekly yeah uh, so <clears throat> for us we uh, for most athletes uh, when I talk about the athletes who can train uh, full-time and eh, not the amateur runners but so they would do between between 10 and 12 training sessions per week and uh, we would have normally two hard sessions per week and then one moderately hard. And in some weeks, it might be three hard sessions. Um, so it depends a little bit on the week. And, and of course, it depends on the volume of the session. As you can imagine, a session with four or five kilometers of quality, uh, you recover much faster from that than a session with 15K of quality. So, But generally, we have two hard sessions and one moderately hard session in a week. And uh, off-season, so yeah, let's say we I should call it the, the base period or the fundamental period, we have a threshold session in most weeks and there are sometimes a week without a threshold session and and occasionally there can be a week with two threshold sessions um yeah so and and sometimes there's a combination like i said we might uh, sometimes say hey on monday evening we go for a short tempo session like a 5k uh, a little bit over threshold but it's still meant to improve the threshold um it might be on a Monday evening and then on Tuesday they may have a speed work and then Wednesday and Thursday will be relatively easy and then Friday they may have a proper threshold session. So threshold sessions, we, we have three types of threshold sessions. The, the faster ones are more important. So this is a five times six, five times seven, five times eight, uh, four times 10 minutes. Yeah, generally between 30 minutes and 40 minutes of quality um, where they should push really hard but i normally tell them that if they do five repetitions then the first four should be in control like pretty hard but uh, of course they should control the breathing like they shouldn't uh, breathe too fast they shouldn't breathe like one step in one step out you know then uh, they are probably going a bit too fast Uh, but the last repetition they can push harder so that's one of the threshold sessions the other one is uh, a tempo which can be anything between 10 minutes tempo and uh, 25k tempo Whereas, you know, mostly we work, uh, we do between, let's say, 20 and 40 minutes tempo. That, that's uh, one of the most regular uh, things we do. And But for the longer distance runners, we also do sometimes, uh, let's say, a 15K, which is, you know, 50 minutes of tempo. Um, so this is more sub-threshold. Uh, you can say marathon intensity, maybe finishing half marathon intensity. Um, this is also an important workout, but we don't do that very often. We might do that once in three weeks, and then the other weeks we do the harder threshold sessions. Uh, and then when it's so, that's in the in the fundamental or the base period. And in the specific period, uh, we would still definitely have threshold once in two weeks. Uh, sometimes every week, uh, but a little bit shorter threshold. And then we wouldn't have the 50 minutes threshold sessions or. Unless they are marathon runners, of course, it's a different story. But for the track athletes, we would uh, uh, reduce those longer threshold sessions and, and kind of keep it a bit shorter and more intense. Because I think if you come to the race, you know, you you yeah, you want to give the aerobic support for your race event. But if your race event is a 10K, 
your aerobic support is, uh, you know, you can do a lot at threshold actually, because that is really direct aerobic support for the 10K, right? Because it's very close. But if your event is a 1500 meter, you know, your uh, it's not the same, right? The aerobic support for 1500 is, is much closer to that. So we might, for, for aerobic support for 1500, we might, before the session, uh, start with a 2K tempo, pretty short and then between 5 and 10k race pace so i called it the tempo but it's not and it's not really a threshold session but definitely meant as an aerobic support for the 1500 yeah uh, great overview thank you for that M- moving on to the next topic that i want to talk about is uh, how do you monitor the progress of your athletes and uh, you did mention in uh, the document that you have two sort of different training groups so depending a bit on the individual response athletes may work with one sort of structure one training structure one training group and or the other so obviously the monitoring and uh, monitoring the response of the athlete to the training would uh, basically decide on which group you put your athletes in but can you talk a little bit more about that monitoring and the individuality and adapting training for the athlete yeah sure sure well this is um it's also, uh, you know, uh, coaching is always a learning process. And for me also, of course, it's, uh, you know, you continuously learn and, and you adjust your training. So in the beginning with, with uh, at least that I coached when we were, you know, having a group of 30 athletes and maybe 10 of them would run a 5K, uh, I would have one group for the 5K athletes. But at some point, I, you know, I, it became difficult because I, as you get to know the athletes better, you start to realize how different they are. In the beginning, you don't see that, of course, because you don't know them very well. But after some time, I realized like, hey, you know, this guy, he can he can keep pushing and pushing uh, the longer intervals and yeah, he can handle that. But the other one, he, he can't handle that, but he has great lactic power. Like, you know, he's much anaerobically much stronger, but he can't do maybe uh, the long runs, he can't do very good, but they're both 5K runners and they're running almost the same time. Uh, the one has probably one of them had a much stronger aerobic system, and the, and the anaerobic system is a bit underdeveloped or it's not so talented there. Whereas the other one, you know, he could run uh, 400 meters in 52 seconds, uh, but his endurance was weaker, and he just couldn't handle it. Also the same, and the same thing for the girls. You know, you see differences. It's the same as with the boys. So uh, then I started dividing the groups, and so I made yeah more like a can call it fast twitch group and a slow twitch group in in my case i i didn't like to you know uh, use the names like a 5k group or 1500 group because i felt like some athletes they are running 5k but they might also do 1500 or they're running 5k to 10k so i gave different names so the athletes in india they are in the tigers group or the horses group or the gazelles group or, um, <clears throat> so we that was just a kind of a fun way for me to to make the different groups and, and, and not to kind of confuse it also for them. Um, so, uh, what did I want to say? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I started putting them in different groups depending uh, not only on the race event, but also on how they respond to training. So, you, like I said, some people have, you know, they can run, uh, it doesn't matter what you give them, uh, they can always run the last 400 in, in 55 seconds. Whereas others, they are much stronger in it, the longer endurance work, right? So I gave slightly different training based on that. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And then, sorry? 
Uh, yeah, sorry, I was going to follow up on that and ask. So do you tailor then for the more fast twitch group, do you give training that is actually sort of promoting their strengths a bit more and working more to their strengths? Is that the way you work? And, and then obviously vice versa with the slow twitch group? Or do you focus more on uh, on minimizing the weaknesses? So maybe bringing up the, the slow twitch side or, or how do you think about that? Yeah, it's a very good question and a little bit difficult to answer. Uh, because I have ideas about that, but I, I can't say I've completely figured it out. But uh, one of the things I know for sure is um, like for both of them, we want to improve their weaknesses. And of course, we also want to improve their strengths. But uh, it's like working on their weaknesses works a little bit different for all of them. Uh, for example, for the slow twitch uh, group, I, I found that if we don't do regular injections of speed uh, where, you know, it can be just hill sprints of 10 seconds uh, or a little bit longer hill work or it can be uh, 10 times 200 meters or 5 times 300 at the end of a session. Um, if we don't do that, then they become really slow. Then they still improve maybe based on the endurance work, but uh, it will be very hard for them to transition from the base period to the specific period because, um, you know, they can be very comfortable up to three minutes per K, but then when they go to 257, 258, suddenly the, you know, they, they can't handle the lactate or the tiredness that uh, comes with it. You know what I mean? Their anaerobic system just isn't strong enough. So we kind of really regularly have to stimulate uh, their lactic system a little bit, but not too much. Um, for the fast twitch group, their endurance is their weaker part, um, but they can't they can't handle so much, uh, for instance, faster long runs. So with them, we have to be a bit more careful. Um, generally, um, with the, well, one, one thing we know, for instance, hey, is that, or what, what we assume is that when you're a fast twitch athlete, your your anaerobic system is a little bit stronger. So with anything that you do, you tend to use your fast twitch fibers a bit more and you tend to be a little bit more anaerobic compared to the slow twitch athlete. So the slow twitch athlete, for instance, uh, if you give a threshold session, uh, he or she is not likely to really go over the threshold because they feel that. That immediately leads to tiredness with them and then they reduce the pace a bit and, and then they're fine. But with the fast twitch athletes, uh, if you are not careful, they can completely destroy their uh, threshold sessions because they they might run much faster than threshold without realizing it because their their anaerobic system is strong and they you know they run with much higher lactate and they don't even notice it until suddenly uh, they are you know uh, they are dead like they're finished you know and then they have to slow down a lot. So um, with the, the fast twitch athletes, we are a little bit careful with uh, the length and the let's say the intensity of the long runs and the general easy runs. So the, the slow twitch athlete, for instance, when they go for a 60 minute easy run, they can easily finish in, in 3.30 per K, which for them is a little bit moderate. And that's all, that's fine. And then the next day they can do a workout. If the That's for the slow twitch athletes. If the fast twitch athletes would do the same, running that speed will probably, uh, they will recruit more of their fast twitch muscles and, and, and produce more lactate and, and, and they might not be recovered the next day. So they have to be much more careful with the endurance part. And um, they are most of the time, the fastest athletes are not that good in longer intervals. So we have to be more careful in building that up. So for the long, for the fastest athletes to work on their threshold, uh, sometimes it's better to do shorter intervals 
than than the longer intervals. Uh, but it depends a bit, you know. Uh, yeah, there's there's something to say for both things, you know. If you if you do the shorter intervals with the, the fast twitch athletes, it is possible, but uh, it, it it can be smart. I mean, but you have to keep the recovery very short. So instead of doing maybe five times eight minutes with two minutes rest, you might do seven times five minutes with one minute rest. So you make sure they are not blowing up in training, but also if you make the rest too long, they tend to run too fast and run much faster than their threshold. Sometimes if you really want to give a good stimulus for the aerobic system, you, you have to be sure that you actually engage the aerobic system and not the anaerobic system. Yeah, th- those are some really excellent points, and I I totally agree with you there. And and uh, yeah, it's really important to recognize the the different characteristics in terms of fast twitch versus slow twitch of athletes and adjust uh, accordingly. Uh, in in terms of the the general monitoring, if we get back to that topic, what are the the things that you look at when when it comes to just monitoring the progress of of the athlete? Do you look at do you carefully record workout splits? Do you look at the mileage week by week and so on? What, what's the main things that you, you like to follow and track? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so again, it differs a little bit per athlete. And um, as you know, of course, that, uh, yeah, you know, there's so much more individuality in, in running and in coaching than you can read in the books. And as I just mentioned, the fast it and slow twitch, as you also know, of course, there's... Uh, we, we all like to see things in black and white, but in reality, it's much more different shades of gray, right? So uh, even when I, you know, I, I put uh, people in two different groups, a uh, fast twitch group and a slow twitch group, I feel like it's an improvement compared to what it was, but it's not perfect because even within the fast twitch group, there are differences and within the slow twitch group. And it's not that if you label someone like you are fast twitch now, you have to be very careful that you don't, uh, how do you say, that you don't uh, only look at the label. You know what I mean? That you say, okay, this is a fast twitch uh, girl, this is a slow twitch boy, so this is how they should train. No, you you know them better than just that label, right? So, um, yeah, so now, sorry, to go back to your question about uh, monitoring, I actually wish we, we had more ways to monitor, uh, like heart rate monitors and uh, maybe measuring lactate would be interesting. And I, I kind of wished uh, we had good support from an exercise physiologist so that our athletes would sometimes measure their running economy or you know stuff like that but we don't really have that so um, we test uh, their endurance level or their threshold level by uh, once in a while doing an 8k or 30 minutes tempo run which it's not supposed to be all out but it's it's also not very far from all out you know like when they finish the 8k they should feel like uh, they could do uh, 2K more, but that would be really, that would be all out. You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah, they do that, and then uh, it gives a good indication of uh, how much they uh, improve their endurance level. Um, and uh, in terms of speed, we, we look at uh, the maximum speed, what they can do on a 30 meters with flying start. So again, it's not perfect we, because we have to measure by hand, unfortunately, but uh, yeah. It's the best we have. So we let them, uh, they have like uh, 50 meters uh, to accelerate. And then between two cones, which are 30 meters apart, they go at maximum speed and we measure their maximum speed. And then, of course, you always have your important training sessions. So for all my athletes, I have a document where I keep track of all the mileage, how much they do in each zone, zone one, two, three, four, and five. Uh, but I also write all the important sessions. So I, if I give them a 
a session now, which is kind of a standard session, uh, let's say 10 times 1,000 meters with a 200 meter jog in between, I can compare with uh, four months ago or eight months ago when they did the same session and the same for different sessions. So we have a lot of different sessions, but we have certain key sessions because especially in India, there are very few races. So uh, if you don't have races, you have to look for other ways. And one thing is you can do a time trial, but another thing is you can have certain key sessions where, uh, yeah, that you use to, to, to monitor the progress. Yeah, that makes makes sense. And uh, one more thing, not completely related to this, but actually going back to the question on the quality sessions that I meant to ask but forgot, is how do you prescribe that? Do you have specific target paces or do you prescribe more like you should do these intervals at 5K race effort or 10K race effort? Uh, or, yeah, so how, how do you do that? Yeah, so normally I uh, estimate what I think they can do. Um, based, of course, on their 5 to 10K or 3K race pace or half marathon race pace. So I, I know from all my athletes, whether it's the Kenyans or the Indians or the amateur runners that I coach, of course, I, I know more or less what, you know, I know what they can run in a race or even if they haven't done an actual 5K race, only a 10K race, I can give a pretty good estimate. Um, and, and of, yeah, then I use that to kind of give an estimate of what I think they should run. So I might... Tell someone, okay, uh, today uh, we have a very specific session, uh, five times 1,000 meters at your 5K race pace with um, two minutes or three minutes rest, for example. And, and I actually give them the speed. So I say I want it to be between, between maybe for a girl that can be between 320 and 315. But any, so I normally give a range of five, around five seconds because I know that they are normally within that. And, and it, it, it almost never happens that someone is slower than that and says, really, coach, I, I couldn't do it, right? So they're normally within that range, but it does happen that athletes go faster because I tend to be a little bit on the careful side. And I always tell them, like, look, whatever pace I give you is an estimate so that you kind of know what to aim for. But if you feel you can go faster, you're always free to go faster. I, I am not a coach who says, like, okay, you this is your 5K pace and that is... Uh, you know, uh, 72 seconds per lap. I don't want you to go at 70 seconds per lap. No, if if they can go 70 seconds, it's fine. You know, if they can do 68, it's also fine. You know, uh, so uh, of course, what I don't want to see is that they start too fast and then slow down during the session. That can happen one time, but then I will tell them, look, this is not the way to build up your session. I want you to run a kind of constant pace and maybe finish a little bit faster than you started, but not the other way around. Right. So, and of course, the longer you work with athletes, the more you uh, can estimate what they can handle. Yeah, makes sense. Now, moving to a different topic. Uh, this one is more moving away from the uh, the elite professional side of things and moving to the uh, amateur recreational runners. Can you give some tips for? amateur runners that just simply want to become faster runners uh, if we start perhaps with just uh, beginners people that are very much in the beginning stages so they're running what are some some tips that you would give these runners oh good one uh, <laughs> uh, it's a little bit a difficult question because it, it, it again it depends on the person yeah I, i'm sorry if most of my questions uh, oh, sorry most of my answers start like that it depends on the person but um uh, i i think 
one of the things that is good is to have a coach. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I am doing coaching, but I really think I see the value of a coach of some an external person uh, who looks at your training and can give you guidance. Um, and then when it comes to the training, uh, I, the, the amateur runners that I speak with, uh, and in most cases, these are people who have been running already for at least a year, I would say, or two or three years, so not complete beginners. Uh, but in, yeah, so um, some of the amateur runners train too polarized in a way that they do only easy running. And then when they go for a workout, they run so much faster than their race pace, which generally tends to be 10K. So most of the amateur runners will focus on road races, 10K, half marathon, and then they go to the track and do 400 meter repetitions much faster than race pace, which is not a bad thing to do, but um, you, you definitely want to focus most of your attention on developing your aerobic system, right? So especially when you're a 10K and half marathon amateur runner, you want to really develop your aerobic system. So you want to train in those, uh, especially zone four. So those repetitions that I meant, that I just mentioned for the Indians, for instance, where you do five times six minutes, or you may start with five times five minutes. Those are important sessions for amateur runners to develop a good, strong aerobic system. Uh, at the same time, uh, I see there are some amateur runners who uh, do everything in those zones. So basically, they go out uh, for a run three times a week or four times a week. And every time they run 45 minutes to 60 minutes at a speed that is more or less their half marathon or marathon race pace, um, which is also not good, of course. So that's the opposite of polarized training. So, you know, you don't want to be too polarized, but you definitely don't want to be completely unpolarized in a way that. You know, all your running is kind of in those intermediate zones. You want to modulate your training, so differentiate between uh, maybe two workouts per week where you do quality and then the rest can be easy running. Um, but in the quality sessions, you, you, you definitely want to focus on building a good aerobic base. I think that's important and uh, doing something at your race pace. Yeah, a great advice. And uh, what if for some runners that, and you might be working with these types of runners as well, the pretty fast amateur runners, let's say you have somebody who's running a marathon in between uh, 2.30 to 3 hours or something, all of those would be considered pretty fast by, by amateur standards. Yes. Then uh, what, what, and they have reached a plateau. What, what are, so obviously this is somebody who has a lot of running experience usually and have trained a lot and and uh, done quite reasonably good training usually but what are the things that you tend to see work for breaking out of a plateau once you have reached a certain level and can't seem to get any faster um good question i think uh the thing i see most is that uh, people are still able to increase the amount of quality running they do in a certain session so um Instead of, you know, running 6 to 8K of quality during uh, a workout, you can increase that to 10 to 12K of quality or even more. Um, for example, when you are talking about the marathon running, um, you know, you, uh, yeah, if you look at the elites, for instance, they do stuff like 4 times 7K at their marathon speed, 5 times 5K at their marathon speed with only two minutes recovery, maybe. Uh, so these are very tough sessions. Uh, but for, for good amateurs, they, they can build up to that, you know. So I've seen some amateurs, you know, who run marathons and they do 
good long runs, but they, they hardly run at marathon speed. Maybe the last part of their long run might be a little bit at marathon speed. Uh, and then when they, they uh, do quality sessions, they may do, you know, something at their 10K speed or, or their threshold. Um, but, yeah, so one of the things they could do to increase their marathon performance is to do longer repetitions at, at marathon speed. And in general, also for those who are running 10Ks, for instance, uh, 10K road races, you know, you you may do a session like 10 times 1,000 at your 10K race pace, but why don't you increase that to six times a mile at your race pace? And then you go to five times 2K, you know, after some weeks. And, and, and once you can do five times 2K at your 10K race pace, uh, make it a session like 3K, 2K, 2K, you know, you, you do longer intervals. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think this is one of the things where I see that uh, there's a difference between elites and amateurs. Uh, and I think this is partly just because the elites have, have uh, good coaches who are very open-minded in their thinking and they, they know that um, if they want to improve the performance at, at race pace, that not only... So there's, there's basically a, uh, two things you want to improve. You want to run longer at your race pace uh, in, in a training session or in a week. And you want to run longer repetitions. So you can keep the length of the session the same, but just do longer repetitions. You know, like I said, instead of 10 times 1,000, you do uh, 3 times 3K or 4 times 3K, but at the same speed. Uh, so you have the longer interval. So, uh, of course, this is much harder than doing shorter intervals. And the other thing is that you can make the whole session longer. So instead of doing 10 times 1,000, you can increase to 15 times 1,000. And of course, this becomes hard, but this is what you see with elite runners, that it's really, uh, they have two or sometimes three really tough quality sessions in the week, and the rest is more or less about recovery and easy running. And, uh, and they, they instead of doing more quality sessions in a week, people tend to uh, simply make the quality sessions that they have uh, harder, longer and, and heavier. Yeah. And... For athletes that have a pretty limited time to train, you alluded to this a bit earlier, how do you think that they can get the most bang for their buck in training? Let's say you're only able to run four or five times per week and uh, I don't know what, however long you're going to run for, for those four or five times, but it doesn't really matter. But the point being that you have a certain uh, constraint in terms of time. Yeah. Uh, should you think differently about training if you, if you are on a more tight time budget? Yeah, I, I have thought about that. And it's also a good question. And it's something that I think, uh, you know, no one knows the real answer and science has not given us an answer to that. But I can give you my view. And, um, you know, I, I think in this way, the 80-20 the training is, is definitely overrated for amateurs. Uh, like I said uh, earlier in our conversation that my athletes, those who are running uh, high mileage, they tend to be on a, 80, 20, or 85, 15, um, how do you say, division eh, between easy and, and quality, whereas the quality is done zone three, zone four, and zone five together. Uh, but for the amateur runners, it's a different story because uh, maybe when you start, it might be like that. But if you have been training for, let's say, three years, four years, five years, and you can do five sessions per week, you know, the, the, I think the principal point of training is that you you have to challenge yourself. You have to kind of damage your uh, body in order uh, to uh, create an st- uh, adaptation to improve, right? So if you can't improve, uh, are you still there? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking maybe we dropped again. Uh, but uh, so if you can't improve in terms of mileage, if you can't increase the mileage, if you can't increase uh, the number of easy runs because of your limited time, uh, there's only two things you can improve. And that is you can increase the speed of your easy runs or you can increase the workouts, like make the workouts harder. Right. So these are two ways uh, when you are uh, an amateur runner and you're training like five times a week. In most cases, people can still handle two workouts per week. So you have to throw the 80-20 out of the window then um, because, you know, the percentages are different, but you can do the two quality sessions per week. And if you want to improve, you can either make those quality sessions harder or you can say uh, if you recovered well, you can increase a little bit the speed of uh, maybe one or two of your easy runs. <clears throat> and and the, in that case, I would rather than... than kind of increasing the whole speed of the easy run, I would say, you know, uh, if you, let's say now you you have uh, done a workout on a Saturday and maybe on Sunday you had time, you did an easy run really for recovery and then uh, you have another easy run on a Tuesday, you might say, hey, now I can, you know, st I start easy, but the last 20 or 30 minutes I increase the speed and I go up to marathon pace. Right, uh, so that gives you a different stimulation, and of course, you should only do that if it doesn't really harm uh, the workout that you have maybe on a Wednesday or a Thursday. But um, yeah, if you can't in increase the, the time of, you know, if you can't if you can't run more, simply you can only run faster. And 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 the principle, the most, the biggest principle of training is that you have to uh, keep on stimulating yourself. So if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, after some time, you are not going to improve, of course. So if you can't increase the mileage, you definitely have to think about increasing some speed somewhere. Yeah, very, very good, good points there. And one final question before we start to wrap up here, you mentioned already uh, having Renato Canova and Steve Magnus as, as some of your uh, mentors. And also I know Patrick Sang is somebody that uh, you have had interactions with the coach of Elliot mm -hmm. Kipchoge. Can you give a couple of examples of things that you've taken from these great coaches that, that you think are really useful and that would be, be interesting for the listeners to know about? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, Patrick Sang, a great coach. I admire him and I uh, have spoken to him a few times. Sometimes it's just, you know, you, you visit an athlete's uh, uh, engagement and then Patrick is there also and then we talk a bit and another time I ask him can we sit down and he uh, he invited me for lunch somewhere and we sat down for three hours just talking about training so uh, it was great that he was willing to do that and um, so one of the things he told me is take care of the dynamics and I first I was trying to figure out what does he mean with dynamics so what he means is um, you have to uh, care more about the mental side of training and coaching than purely, you know, uh, being busy with the training program. And I think he's totally right about that. I have seen the same thing with many athletes. If from the mental point of view, if the athlete is not in the right state of mind, it doesn't have the right focus, doesn't have the confidence, uh, uh, doesn't have, you know, the motivation to wake up every day and say, I want to be the best I can be no program that you make will have a big benefit. You know, you can, you, it doesn't really matter what you give if someone doesn't have the right mental approach. So that mental approach is really, really important. 
And that's what Patrick told me, and it, it, it kind of resonated very well with me. And I uh, have always kept that in mind, you know, like I see the same thing in, in uh, with many of my athletes. And, and of course, the way athletes improve is partially due to uh, physical or physiological reasons. But I also see a very big, uh, how do you say, a correlation with, with uh, how how they are mentally, how focused they are, how hungry for the training they are how much they are busy with you know short-term thinking and just like okay i want to finish the training and then i go back to my room and then i'm on facebook and then Mm -hmm. i'm you know uh, busy chatting with my friends and when you talk with them they might say no but i'm resting i'm laying on my bed i'm 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 doing nothing yes but you know it's not the same it's not the same with an athlete who says okay i've done my training now i'm going to eat and then i'm going to drink something and i'm going to sleep for uh, one and a half hours and then i wake up and make sure i have my lunch before one o'clock because i want my food to go down then i have a session at five o'clock again maybe i can uh, uh, prepare mentally for that session you know by the last half an hour i just sit down and visualize for my training session those two athletes will have a completely different response to training uh, because of their mental uh, approach, to, because of their their focus and their dedication, so that is extremely important. Yeah, that that's really great. Yeah, so that's for, and, and do you have some some nuggets from uh, Renato Canova that uh, you can share as well? Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, so Renato, uh, also a very nice coach. Uh, he he is often here in Iten. Now, unfortunately, with Corona, it's not possible because uh, you can't travel, but um, yeah, he uh, he's often here, and I meet him often. And uh, you know, the nice thing with Renato, you ask one question, and uh, you get an answer of forty minutes. So, uh, um, well, I think two things I can say about him. Uh, one thing is he is the most open-minded with training programs that I've ever seen. Um, as most coaches thinks in think in terms of cycles, like you have a certain training cycle, um, you may say, okay, I have a fart leg and then three days later we do a hill work uh, two or three days later we have a threshold session and then two or three days later a long run that is one cycle yes and you repeat that cycle right um renato canova most of the time doesn't think that way he he just puts training sessions in the program whatever wherever he thinks they should be and whatever session they should be so of course the limitation when you have a cycle is that you kind of give the same um value to every type of training session uh, because you can let's say now you have four workouts in a cycle um, and one of them is a hill work that means the hill work is equally important to the fart leg or to the threshold session or the long run uh, what renato canova does he just if if he wants more hill work he can put a hill work every week but uh, other sessions he might change completely he might say this week we have a quality session on a monday on a wednesday and then on a sunday and then next week we have a quality session on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And um, yeah, so in that way, he has taught me to think completely open-minded, not even to think in terms of weeks of Monday to Sunday, but you just have a program for the next 30 days and you fill in uh, the workouts on the places where you want them to be. And of course, this is not uh, possible so much with amateur runners because they have a family, they have a job, they may have other commitments. So this is different. But for athletes who are uh, elite level or Maybe some others who have, uh, you know, the flexibility to train that way. I think it is a big advantage in that way when you have no limitations at all, but just put your sessions uh, where you want to have them without thinking in terms of, you know, uh, 
how can you say, to be limited to a week or to a certain cycle. That is one thing I learned from him. The other thing was uh, not so long ago, he told me that I found that also interesting, where many coaches actually focus on, uh, for the middle distance runners, let's say the 1500 to 5K, or 5K is becoming a little bit long distance, but uh, even up to 10K runners, uh, in the last four to six weeks of training, they focus more on race-specific work. Renato said that uh, he stops with that about two weeks before the race, 14 to 12 days before the race. He said in the last 12 days before the race, he does more threshold sessions. So that uh, he said sometimes the the aerobic level, the threshold, uh, anaerobic threshold goes down a little bit because of the speed work that the athletes do. So he wants them to catch up basically in the last 12 days and, and also to avoid the, the tiredness of, of lactic sessions. So when athletes have, uh, for example, a 5K race, uh, he will do very hard 5K sessions until two weeks before the race or maybe 12 days. And then in the last part, he will do more threshold uh, sessions uh, and maybe do some 200 or 300 uh, repetitions at race pace only. Super interesting. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I thought also, yeah. Now let's go into the, the final part, the rapid fire questions and uh, keep your answers to one sentence or less. Uh, so okay, that's right. in this situation, in this situation, it's actually important because I have a, another meeting in five minutes. Okay, so I'll do my best. We're starting to wrap up. But the first one is: What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to running or endurance sports? That's an easy one. Scienceofrunning.com from Steve Magnus, and he also has a book, Science of Running. Um, I have many, uh, but this one stands out. Yeah, great one. What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? I don't have much gear or equipment. Uh, I use, we use the hardware monitor, but I'm not using anymore. Um, I go for the Garmin or the GPS watch. Let's say I, I still love that to see all the splits, you know, and, and and to know what speed you're running. So both for my athletes as for myself. And finally, what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Uh, two things. Uh, this one is a little bit longer answer, but I'll try to still keep it short. Uh, one thing is meditation. Uh, when I was an athlete, I started this uh, meditation whereby I would focus on my breathing and at the same time I would contract and relax my muscles one by one. It would take me about half an hour and I felt it, it greatly improved my focus, my ability to focus in competitions. It improved my confidence and since I started doing that, I, I can honestly say I never had a single bad race in my life. Like I would have some races that I wasn't really good just because I wasn't physically so good, maybe coming back from injury. But uh, this meditation and in combination with visualization for uh, races and training sessions, I can honestly say that I, I never had a, a race where I underperformed. So that was really important for me. And then now as a coach, what is important for me is that every day I try to switch off my uh, internet uh, for maybe two hours so that I can work on training programs and uh, or maybe read some scientific research or, you know, read something uh, without being disturbed. Because as you know, when you're coaching people, uh, especially when you coach online, as soon as I go online, I am talking with uh, five to 10 people at the same time, you know, everyone gives their feedback from training, I give them my feedback, and we, we talk, we, and, and this is very important, and it's very interesting, but you can't combine it with, uh, with focused studying or making training programs, so I try to really make that a clear division. 
Yeah, that's a really great, a great piece of advice there. Really like that. Yeah. And uh, so, Hugo, final question: Where can people follow you? Are you on social media? You have the Kenya Experience camps. Uh, anything you want to mention here, and website and social media pl- profiles and so on. Please feel free to do so. Uh, uh, thanks. Yeah. Um, so the best thing I think now is uh, our website, uh, trainsmarterrunfaster.com. I actually started this recently uh, where I wanted to increase a little bit uh, the online coaching that I do, trainsmarterrunfaster.com. We also have uh, Instagram with the same name, trainsmarterrunfaster.com. I also have my own uh, coach, Hugo Vandenbroek, uh, but uh, I think trainsmarterrunfaster.com is the best for people to to follow in Instagram and and via that they can also find me and Yeah, I will uh, give any updates uh, there and training advice and updates about my athletes or uh, yeah, if I have other podcasts or stuff like that, it will be announced there. Perfect. Thank you so much, Hugo, for coming on and sharing your expertise with us. It was a pleasure talking to you and uh, have a nice rest of your day. I am very much honored to be on your podcast, Michael. I thank you very much for inviting me. I, I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, good luck. Uh, I've I've listened to your last podcast, and I will continue listening also. Uh, cheers. That that uh, that's really good. Thanks. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Hugo. And as always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. We will link to Hugo's websites, both the Train Smarter, Run Faster, and the Kenya Experience websites. And they are also available in your podcast app in the episode description. Also, you can check out all running-related episodes that we've done here by going to the running category archives on scientifictriathlon.com. And they will also be linked to in the show notes. If you're looking for training plans or coaching services, go and check out scientifictriathlon.com. We would love to help you out. And uh, almost every single customer are very, very happy, whether it's coaching or training plans. Uh, that we're talking about so uh, definitely worth considering if you are trying to think about the next step for improving your triathlon performance finally big thanks to our sponsors precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com go and take their free online sweat test to get an individualized hydration strategy for your next race and get 15% off your order with the promo code that triathlon show one five and thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.